You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Uh, Matthew 13, 1-18. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for, yeah, just the community that we get to have on a Sunday morning, but also throughout the week. Thank you for Greg, for the way he has been appointed to teach us. Um, I just pray that you bless him and bless his words this morning and that um, as a congregation, our eyes can be open and our ears can be open to hear um, exactly what you want to, what you have in store for us this morning, God. Um, Yeah, we sit in expectation of your words. Amen. Thank you, Caitlin. Good morning, everybody. As Caitlin said, uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the gate, and uh, it's good to see all of you. Um, Today is going to be the introduction message for uh, our new sermon series that we're going to be going through um, up till Christmas, and then we'll take a break for Christmas, and then we'll continue it in January. And uh, we've titled it The Parables of the Kingdom of God. And if it's not clear to you by that title, uh, what we're going to be doing after this week is going through the specific parables of Jesus that concern the topic of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And this is a subject that's actually very prominent and very uh, significant throughout the whole Bible and especially in Jesus's ministry and therefore is obviously important to us as Christians as well. So hopefully it'll be good. Um, But... Speaking of the kingdom of God, um, when John the Baptist showed up on the scene as as the forerunner to Jesus, eating bugs, living like a wild man in the wilderness, right? He came with one message, which was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And this was an exciting message for the Jews he was speaking to because God had been promising them a coming and restored kingdom for centuries, right? And then when Jesus' ministry officially started, he continued John the Baptist's message as his primary theme, but he also added to it as well. Let me read Mark 1, 14 to 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, as John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus, like John the Baptist, um, he came preaching that the kingdom is at hand. But in addition to that message, he also added on to that saying, the time is fulfilled. In other words, the gospel of God that Jesus proclaimed throughout his ministry was primarily the good news that the kingdom has come. And then in Luke 9 and 10, we read that Jesus, he sent out his disciples on their first missions trip. The goal of that trip, to heal the sick and, of course, proclaim the kingdom. And then, of course, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for this kingdom. Matthew 6, 9 to 10, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, yes, the kingdom of God is a, is a central theme of the gospel and of Jesus' ministry. But come to think of it, how often have we heard that prayer, though, that Jesus taught us to pray? Or how often have we prayed that prayer ourselves? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Even non-Christians know that prayer, right? It's probably one of the most popular Bible passages ever. It's in, it's in movies. It's probably hanging in a frame or a tapestry on your grandma's wall. Right? We pray it at Christian functions or, or at our kids' bedtimes. It's probably printed on at least one of the bookmarks you have lying around your house. Right? We sing it during worship. This prayer is all over the place. But how often do we actually stop and ask ourselves, what are we actually praying for here? What exactly is this kingdom we're asking God to bring to earth. And it's a fair question to ask, especially when this kingdom of heaven is often referred to as a mystery, even by Jesus himself. So what, what is this mystery of the kingdom? Right? Like, like, what does it look like? Why is it even a thing? Right? Where is it? Is it, in the, is it in the clouds? Is it here now? Or is it something we'll see later, maybe after we die? Is it even real? Or is it just an illustration? Is, it, is there a king in this kingdom? Who's in the kingdom? Is it only for Jews? How do I get there? Am I already in it? If I am, what do I do now? Right? Is there a castle in this kingdom? A drawbridge, maybe? Are there hobbits? Do I get a coat of arms? Possibly a crossbow? That'd be pretty sweet. Fortunately, I already have a crossbow. Just in case. But then again, here's the question. Would I even get to take it with me in this kingdom? Would I even want to? These are all good questions. All important questions, especially the Hobbit one. But seriously, Jesus, Jesus does, in fact, answer. Yes. I haven't lost it. Cheryl always boosts my confidence when I make jokes. Um, <laughs> but seriously, though, Jesus does, in fact, answer most of these questions about the kingdom for us. 
What's intriguing here, though, is that the way that he chose to explain and reveal the mysteries about the kingdom of God is mainly through telling stories, or as Jesus calls them, parables. And so again, as we study these parables throughout this series, um, a lot of those questions will get answered. Hopefully, anyways, unless, unless I flood this up hardcore like I did yesterday during our men's event and axe throwing. I had, uh, I had Kyle beat. I just needed to land it on the target, and I just basically threw it in the air. It was, it was terrible. So hopefully I don't flub up this sermon series like I did that throw. Um, if you missed that men's event, man, it was fun. Come to the next one. Anyway, so, quick plug there. So, Jesus teaches about the kingdom in parables. But what exactly then are parables? Archie Kendall writes that a parable may be defined as a simple story that illustrates a profound truth. So a simple story. But let's not misunderstand the word simple here, because simple in that context doesn't always mean easy to understand. In fact, in, in the book that I got that quote from, R.T. Kendall writes on the subject that when, when, when he first felt like uh, he should do a sermon series on the parables, he hesitated doing it because some of them are actually really hard to understand. And he's a, he's a theologian. He knows what he's talking about. And he, even he hesitated in, uh, in doing a sermon series on the parables. And I appreciate that he wrote that because I empathized with him having had the same or a similar experience myself as I've been praying over the last couple of months about, uh, you know, where to go next in, in, as a church and in the, through the, as we go through the word. Um, I was feeling like the, the obvious step. After talking about how God is for us, which is our last series, right? God's for us. I think I felt like the obvious step would be to then talk about the kingdom of God that he has for us, right? And, and therefore, the parables that illustrate it. But after, after reading through them again uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I started to hesitate about doing this series because while they're simple stories, at the same time, they're incredibly profound in meaning and, and can certainly be difficult to comprehend. And, and my fear in that is that I don't want to stand up here and preach a bunch of heresy to you all uh, because I take that seriously. I take my heresy seriously. Um, <laughs> that's not how it sounds. But, <laughs> but the reason that Kendall actually calls them simple is because the simpleness of them is found in the way that Jesus is able to use normal, run-of-the-mill, real-life elements and situations as a way to reflect the glorious and unseen spiritual reality of the kingdom. It's incredible the way that he can do that. Uh, in this way, then, we have to understand that the parables are unlike other metaphorical stories that, that, that we often read, such as fables, right? Which fables usually provide some sort of moral lesson through using, you know, mystical creatures or talking animals or something like the three little pigs or whatever, right? Um, instead, what we find in the parables are situations that we'd see on any given day situations we'd be familiar with in normal life. And this is especially the case for the audience with which Jesus was talking to at that time. And in the same vein, then, we have to understand that the parables aren't allegories either. 
That's a mistake we often make, and it's, it's an important distinction to make that they're not allegories. Parables are not allegories, because in allegorical stories, like the Chronicles of Narnia, for example, great, great stories, great series with C.S. Lewis, but almost every detail in the Chronicles of Narnia, almost every character in the story represents something more, right? Represents something in reality or highlights some deeper moral and spiritual idea. Right? And while the parables definitely do have allegorical elements and are metaphorical in nature, some more than others, especially ones like the, the parable of the prodigal son, ultimately, though, the point of the parables isn't necessarily for every detail and character to represent some deeper concept. Rather, we have to understand that each parable is meant to display as a whole one or two, one or two themes or, or concepts about the kingdom of God. And again, this is important because if we start treating every parable like an allegory and start making up deeper meanings to every word and every nuance and, and every innu- innuendo and character and setting, then we can start to get into to weird theology or get weird ideas that Jesus did not intend when he spoke them. As James Montgomery Boyce writes, parables are merely real-life stories or real-life situations from which one or possibly a few basic truths are drawn. And as I said, the specific parables we're going to be going through in this series are the ones that have to do with the kingdom of God. So hopefully what will happen is that we'll leave here each week, each Sunday, with a deeper understanding of one or two important truths and ideas about the kingdom of God and how these truths affect us as Christians. All right, so I hope by now that we kind of have a grasp of what parables are, for the most part. It's not, it's not too complicated. But for me, and I'm sure for many of us, the big question at play here is why, right? Why? Why did Jesus decide to teach about the mystery of the kingdom of God through parables? This is a good question. Even the disciples asked Jesus about this, Matthew 13:10. Then the disciples came to him came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And I think the disciples probably said them. Why do you speak to them in parables? They said them because they were too embarrassed to say us. Because it's obvious that the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about either, right? Um, But Jesus happily pulls them aside and he answers their question with a bunch of different reasons. And I'm going to highlight four of them for us today to kind of set us on, on a, a solid foundation as we go through the rest of this series. So I'm going to highlight four of the reasons why he goes through parables today. So number one, the reason he teaches through parables is to obscure the truth from those who reject it. Matthew 13, 11 to 13 says this, And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So I don't know what you guys think of this, but at first glance, it kind of sounds like Jesus is being a jerk here, right? Right? My older sister and I used to speak in a form of pig Latin to each other when we were in middle school so that our parents and mostly our little sister wouldn't understand what we were talking about. Basically, we spoke in this code to intentionally withhold our secrets, right? 
And in a sense, this is what Jesus is, is doing here, right? He's speaking in, in code to intentionally ensure that the mystery of the kingdom remained a mystery to certain people. But why would he do that? Why would, why would he keep this, this good news of the kingdom from certain people? Well, this is one of the, those parts of the Bible where context, context is so important. And so I'm going to give us a little bit of context right now. So we're in chapter 13 of Matthew, right? Which means that we're well into Jesus' ministry. And it's only now that he's starting to speak in parables. We have to understand that. Before this, he wasn't hiding anything, right? When, when we heard from Jesus, or what we heard from Jesus were obvious and very clear demonstrations of his lordship and of the kingdom of God. The book of Matthew even starts out with a genealogy of Jesus that shows he's a descendant of the line of David, in other words, the heir, in other words, the king, right? And after he's born, shepherds and wise men, they come and worship him and give him gifts fit for a king. And as I said before, both John the Baptist and Jesus came preaching and proclaiming the good news that the kingdom was at hand. And, and Jesus also spent a good portion of the first part of his ministry clearly teaching about the kingdom and about the law of God with great authority. A great example of this is the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, he spent a great deal of his ministry making evident the power and glory of this kingdom through all the miracles and all the healings that he accomplished. So that's the context leading up to this moment. But the thing is that the more his authority and prominence grew as a son of God and as the coming Messiah King, the more he was actually rejected, especially by most of the religious elite. And part of the reason for this was that he wasn't the king they wanted. He wasn't the king they expected. And neither was the kingdom that he came proclaiming. Right? They wanted a political kingdom. They wanted a king who would lead an army to overthrow the Romans and restore Israel. So because of that and many other reasons, like their pride and, and self-righteousness, they rejected Jesus. They rejected his gospel, which is actually partly what Jesus' first parable is about. And we'll be going into more detail about that next week. But anyways, their continual rejection of Jesus and the gospel was, was prominent, right? And in fact, right before Jesus started preaching a parable, teaching a parable, it was probably the same day, actually, Jesus had cast a demon out of someone, and the religious elite, the Pharisees and scribes there, in turn, after witnessing this event, in turn, they accused him, they accused Jesus of working for Satan. And this is what seemed like the final straw for him. For that, for that day anyways, as John MacArthur writes, from that day on, the tenor of Jesus' ministry changed. He no longer proclaimed to Israel that the kingdom was at hand. Even the style of his teaching changed. Beginning that very day, he taught in parables rather than openly proclaiming his message. He thus obscured the truth from those who had rejected it already. Those who hungered to understand, the genuine believers, found him eager to explain every detail. But those who hated the truth did not bother to ask. So in other words, Jesus wasn't speaking in parables to hide the truth from those that wanted to hear it and those that hungered to hear it. His purpose was to hide the truth from those who had already rejected it, from those who had already rejected him. 
from those who had already hardened their hearts fully and didn't want to hear or understand anyway. Or as it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but people who are unspiritual don't accept the things from God's Spirit. They are foolishness to them and can't be understood because they can only be comprehended in a spiritual way. So in a, nut, in a nutshell, they didn't want to hear this quote-unquote foolish truth from Jesus. So Jesus obliged. And I have to admit, have to admit that this makes me wonder how often our pride and how often our criticism gets in the way from hearing and understanding God in our own lives. Right? It's not just the Pharisees that have this problem. You know, we often get prideful and, and ignore the word of God. Try to rely on ourselves. And it's a good reality check. All right, the second reason that Jesus spoke in parables was to fulfill prophecy. Matthew thirteen fourteen to 15 says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So what took place during Jesus' ministry here, especially on that day, was written by Isaiah hundreds of years earlier, which means Jesus wasn't surprised here. He wasn't surprised by the hardness of hearts toward him. He wasn't surprised that his teaching was regarded by many as foolishness. Was he saddened and upset? I'm sure he was. But he wasn't surprised or unprepared in how people would react to the gospel because he knew that he knew that prophecy would be fulfilled in his ministry. He knew people would refuse to listen. But that brings us to another reason that he spoke in parables. Number three, to reveal the gospel of the kingdom to those who did listen. Or as his first parable says, to sow seeds in good soil. Because Jesus was still eager to pull, pull the covers off this mystery for those who wanted to hear and know it. In fact, he'll later die on the cross and defeat death in resurrection so that we can do more than just understand the kingdom. So that we can experience it and live in it as citizens of the kingdom. So that we can be changed and convicted and compelled by it. Jesus wants us to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So even though he may have hid the truth from those who had rejected it already, in contrast to that, for those that were seeking, for those that were hungry, for those that were following Jesus, in a lot of ways, these stories that Jesus told actually made it easier to understand the truths of the kingdom. Kendall again writes, Telling parables was Jesus' main way of helping his followers grasp spiritual truths. He was building a bridge from the natural to the spiritual. It was Jesus' way of helping people to make the transition that each of us must make every day of our life to move from the natural level of life to the spiritual level of life. So the parables helped his followers and now us grasp these deep truths of the kingdom of God through these simple stories. And in my opinion as well, uh, speaking in parables was also a great and even clever way of, of separating those who truly followed him right, from those um, who, tr- who truly didn't follow him. 
right? Or as, or as he implies in that first parable, comparing the good soil with the bad, revealing both those who have ears to hear and those who are pridefully plugging their ears and humming loudly to shut them out. Matthew 13, 16 to 17, Jesus says to them, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. So Jesus is saying that this, this is incredibly good news. And he's, and he's really excited to, to proclaim it to them because it's life-changing news. Those who listen to it and hear it are blessed. Those who see it and grasp it are blessed. And by seeing and hearing it, in this context, it means deeply and profoundly receiving it and being changed by it and being molded by it in our heart and in our mind, right? And, and what's amazing to me is that, is that this ragtag group of disciples gets to hear for the first time what no one in history has heard before. The secrets of the mystery of the kingdom have been proclaimed by the prophets, proclaimed by God since the beginning of mankind, and now it's theirs. In fact, Jesus wants them to get it so much that he, that he spends time explaining it to them. He spends time explaining them this first parable to make sure that they get it because he wants them to know. And this leads us to the last reason that we'll highlight this morning as to why Jesus spoke in parables. Number four, to remind us of our need for Jesus. Again, how did the disciples learn to understand the parable or learn to understand the parables? Jesus told them. Jesus told them how to understand the parables. Jesus told them what the parables meant. Verse 18, says, Jesus says to them, Hear then the parable of the sower. Or as some translations say, Now listen to the explanation. Right? Jesus explains it to them. In other words, Jesus is the source of the truth. Of not only the knowledge of the kingdom, but the kingdom itself. Or to put it bluntly, we can't see the kingdom without the king. Just as the disciples couldn't understand the parables without his explanation. So as the parables highlight here, if we reject Jesus, we reject the kingdom. You could try looking for it elsewhere. Or like the Pharisees, try to attain it on your own merit without following Jesus. But that's just not possible. The parables overall show us this, that that's not possible. That's not how this works. The key to the secret of the mystery of the kingdom of God is Jesus himself. That's the point. He's the gate into the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. In fact, during a conversation earlier in his ministry with a Pharisee named Nicodemus who is marveling at his miracles, Jesus declares to him from John 3, 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. That's pretty obvious. To see the kingdom of God, we need to be born again. 
which means we need to be saved from our sin, which means we need to be brought out of darkness and into the light. And salvation comes only through believing and confessing with faith the name of Jesus. Only by his grace are we freed from sin, brought into new and eternal life, because only Jesus won won that for us through his death and resurrection. 